Hey guys, I'm going to do something that I've rarely done and I'm going to share the story of me a little bit. And the reason I want to do that is I want to give you an understanding of where I come from and why I have some of the outlooks on life that I have. And some of the lessons that I learned and where all this podcast comes from and why I like helping people. So um, that's what we're going to get into in this podcast, guys. I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be it's going to be pretty raw, and I apologize if I go off on a tangent. But let's get into this episode. What's up, guys? What's up? Thank you so much for listening to the Raw and Unscripted podcast. I am your host, Robbie Millar. I'll be here all day. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for sharing the podcast. I know we go through this every single time, but I really want to make sure you understand that this podcast is a podcast because of you and the work that you guys put in. And I really, really appreciate you sharing and liking the podcast and rating the podcast. We're growing every single day. We're up over 140 listeners now, and it's continuing to go up and go up. I haven't had a day yet where it's been stagnant. And I super appreciate it. So share this podcast, guys. We're available on Anchor, Stitcher, iTunes, Pocket Cast, CastBox, TuneIn Radio. You can get a hold of me, like I said before, on my email, millarmediapodcast at gmail.com. That's M like Mike, I-L-L-A-R, mediapodcast at gmail.com. You can also catch me on Facebook at Millar Media. You can also catch me on my Instagram account. Uh, I believe it's either at Robbie Millar or at Millar Media. But check it out. Post some stuff there too as well. Keep sharing the podcast. I really, really greatly appreciate it. All right, guys, here we go. Getting into who is Robbie Millar. And I, I think this is important just to let my listeners know kind of who I am and where I come from and why I have some of the views that I have on things. And yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. So I didn't have it that bad. Uh, I didn't have a terrible life. I didn't have a terrible childhood. But statistically, I did have it harder than some other people. Um, You know, at a very young age, my mom and my dad split. My mom was a single mom for a very, very long time. And in fact, the majority of my life. She had boyfriends in and out of her life. Um, I know all of the handful of them by name. Uh, most of them weren't weren't that great. My mom, I love her to death, man. She tried her hardest um, as a single mom. I know she did. In fact, her and I talked about this last night on the phone. How, you know, as a parent, you just try to do your best. You don't. There's no instruction manual for this shit. You just try to do what you can do and what you think is best. And, you know, a lot of the times we're wrong, but we try, right? So I believe my mom tried, but my mom was, you know, mixed up in some things when I was younger. Some, you know, maybe a little bit of drugs or, or a lot of bit, definitely a lot of alcohol. My mom was in and out of the construction field, you know, between that and being like a bartender at night as a second job. We were surrounded by you know, uh, some not highly desirable people. Uh, I did a lot of my homework, you know, in a bar after school because my mom was working a second job. So I'd go into the bar and sit at the table and do my homework there. And a lot of the times I would stay there until she got off uh, when I was younger because I wasn't old enough to go home by myself. But 
as I got older, I, you know, I would go home and there was a time in our life. I, I, I remember I, I experienced my first drug raid when I was six or seven. I was in Las Vegas, Nevada. And when I say experience my first drug raid, I mean, I was the kid that heard the knock on the door. Da, da, da. And, uh, I went and turned the doorknob. I remember walking up. Nobody in the house was was opening the door. And I remember walking up and I put my hand on the doorknob and I slowly kind of twisted it to the right. I was, you know, little. It was above my head. And I twisted to the right. And as I got it to be unlatched, the door burst in on me. I remember the door came up over the top of my foot, the bottom of the door, completely like skinned the top of my foot, threw me on the ground. Uh, drug dogs came in the house, the, the drug enforcement agents came in, guns drawn, you know, ARs at my head. Um, I was forced to lie face down on the ground while a German shepherd who was bigger than me at the time was barking and growling at me and, and sniffing all over me. It must've been, you know, maybe just a couple minutes, but it felt like forever before, you know, one of the officers realized that I was a kid. And, uh, you know, kind of picked me up off the ground and sat me on the couch and had the dog. He said, hey, you know, we have to have the dog smell you. You know, he was really nice about it, um, but had the dog smell me. And then, you know, they proceeded to to destroy the house looking for what they looked for. And and this house wasn't my mom's house. I, I wasn't even with my mom at the time. I believe my mom dropped me off. I was pretty young, but you know, either with a friend or an aunt. I think it was a friend of hers. They were watching me for the evening while she was working. And, you know, Child Protective Services had to call my mom in from work to come get me because I had just experienced a drug raid and those people were going to be, you know, taken out of the house. Fast forward a little bit farther into life. There was a time in my life when my mom and I were homeless. I mentioned this on a different podcast. Um, you know, my mom, like I said, she worked two jobs to try to do whatever she could to make, you know, to make ends meet. But she had some problems, too, you know, like I said. Um, and I remember I don't remember a whole lot about the time. I remember two things about the time uh, that time in my life. I remember at one point my mom and I broke into a hotel room in a, in a cheap little motel to have a place to sleep. You know, that was the first time I saw my mom. Um use a credit card to, to unlock a door. She was kind of a badass. I don't remember if we were staying in that room or not before, and then we couldn't pay for it or what, but I remember my mom breaking into the hotel room and, and that was our place to stay. And I just remember walking around everywhere, man. My mom and I walked, we didn't have a car a lot of the time. So, you know, we walked to Burger King or whatever for her to buy me breakfast. You know, I remember just walking, you know, recycling cans and bottles and stuff like that, you know, myself just to, to have change to buy candy or whatever it was. Uh, but anyways, the other thing I remember from that motel experience is that's where I broke my nose the first time I fell off a bed and hit it onto an end table and, and I broke my nose and I got, you know, these instantaneous raccoon eyes and I remember my mom freaking out, you know, because we didn't have the money to pay to go to the hospital. Um, we didn't have insurance, obviously. We didn't even have a place to live. And I remember her asking me, you know, you know, do you want to go to the hospital? And I think she probably tried to convince me not to go a little bit, too, because we couldn't afford it. But uh, I believe she would have taken me, you know, had I said I wanted to go. But I remember her telling me, I said, no, I don't know, mom, what are they going to do? And she goes, well, they're going to reset it. 
And, uh, and I asked her what that means. And she said, basically, they're going to re-break it back into place. And I was like, oh, hell no. Like that hurt bad enough as it was. And that's why I have this, you know, giant bump on my nose. So my mom, you know, she tried her best, man. And we didn't have the greatest things. I remember, you know, I must have been eight or nine years old when she got married to Danny. Funny thing about that, Danny's son, Ross, was my best friend. Um, lived in a small town in Arizona, and and I remember hanging out with him all the time. At least one of my one of my best friends. There was also the Hensners. I love those guys to death. But um, he was one of my best friends, and I remember playing playing in the arcade that that they had there, um, attached to the bar, the like little game room they had with Ross. And I remember telling him one day, I said, man, wouldn't it be cool if we were brothers? Like your dad's single, my mom's single. Wouldn't that be awesome? And he was like, yeah, it would. And then fast forward a little bit of time ahead and, and Danny and my mom ended up getting married, Ross's dad. And we became brothers. And I thought it was so cool. I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to have Ross as my brother. We're friends. This is awesome. And uh, Danny turned out to be a, a raging alcoholic and had a lot of problems with physical abuse. Um, I remember one time he he beat my mom with a gallon milk jug and pushed her up against a stove. There was countless times he, you know, he struck my mom. Uh, m- m- the majority of the time, not in view of me. Um, and it wasn't until later on that he got abusive with me. But, um, you know, so he. I remember one time I did something wrong. I can't remember what it was as a kid. And I was scared to death of this man. And he threatened to spank me, so I ran away. And I went out into the desert and spent the night in the desert by myself because I was afraid to go home because he was going to, he was going to beat my ass. Um, finally, like I was 12 or 13 years old and he hit my mom again, this time in front of me. And he always, you know, he always put hands on me for whatever reason, but he, it didn't really affect me until until I saw him put hands on my mom. There's two times I saw him put hands on my mom. The first time was we were living in an RV because that's what we could afford at, in an RV park. And my mom asked him asked him if he wanted butter on his toast or jelly. I can't remember what it was. And he said no. And my mom brought him toast for breakfast. And he freaked out that there wasn't butter or jelly on it. Whatever my mom blatantly fucking asked him for. And he started screaming at her and my mom asked me in the middle of their conversation, which probably wasn't the smartest choice, but I don't think she knew what to do. You know, she asked me, Robbie, did I ask, you know, Danny if he wanted butter? And I said, yeah, I heard you. And Danny basically put his hands around my throat and shoved me out of the RV window from the top bunk. The second time he put hands on me was the last time. Um, or the second time I saw him put hands on my mom was the last time. And what happened was he, we were in an apartment in Colorado and he, uh, I don't even know what the fight was about. He was probably just fucking drunk and he, he hit my mom and I was like 12 or 13, maybe, maybe 11, right around in that age. And I'll never forget it because he was, you know, in his thirties at the time, big guy, big guy, guy as stature wise. He wasn't very tall, but he's very, very stocky. He was a concrete worker. He was a wrestler in high school, just a stocky, you know, built kind of guy. 
And I told him if he touched my mom again, I'd beat his fucking ass. And he ended up pushing her up against the stove. And that, and that was the, the kicker for me. So I went over to him and I punched him as hard as I could right in the face. And he punched me back straight in the mouth. And I fell to the ground crying, tears running down my face, blood coming down my face. And I said, you know what? That's it. And I got up and I hit that son of a bitch again. And he hit me back and I fell to the ground. I got up and I hit him again. And he hit me back and I fell to the ground. We did this at least 10, 11, 12 times before I finally said, fuck it, I had enough. And I sat down in the chair and my mom picked me up and we left. And later on that day, my grandfather, who was, you know, basically my my saving grace, we lived with him on and off on my entire life. And I love that man to death. He was basically a father to me because I didn't have one. He drove from, I believe at the time he was living in Arizona or Nevada, up to Colorado to pick us up. And I'll never forget, he put my mom and me in the car and he shut the car door and started walking up to the apartment. And my mom said, you know, where are you going? Dad, where are you going? And he said, I'll be back. Stay in the fucking car. And he went up to that apartment and he came back down. And as we're pulling out of the apartment, he said, he'll never bother you again. And we never saw Danny or heard from Danny again. Um, I actually ran into Ross later on in life, which I thought was kind of humorous, but so that was, you know, that was my upbringing. After that, my mom and I, you know, was basically single. Um, we bounced around from grandma's house to a different, you know, a different state. I moved consistently every six months um, or pretty close to every six months. I lived in a ton of different states. A couple of times had to go rescue my sister from some shitty situations and a bunch of different things happened in my life. Um, I've been shot at a couple times in, in different areas, but my mom, man, she tried her best. And the whole reason I wanted to bring, you know, kind of an overview of my life story up is, is two things. One, I, I'll never forget a teacher I had in high school. Her name was uh, Mrs. Roschenberger, and she is the epitome of an educator. She is not a teacher. She is an educator and a mentor, and I love that woman till the day that I die. Um, I remember her, you know, pulling me to the side one time because I was a troubled kid, man. I didn't, I did what I wanted, you know, I, I didn't, dude, I wasn't scared of anything. I'd been through what I thought was the worst of the worst. You know, I knew, I knew how to, I, I knew what it was like to be homeless I knew what it was like to get hit by somebody 20 plus years older than you. Um, you know, I just didn't have a fear or a care in the world. I, I figured there was, I'd been through the worst. There was nothing else that could happen to me. So I took that in the wrong direction and, and, you know, kind of became a troubled kid. I ran around, did whatever I wanted. You know, I, I never got into drugs because I saw it destroy my family, my mom who, is clean, you know, she's been clean for a long time now, but my dad who's clean now, uh, he's been clean a little bit less than my mom, but he's doing pretty well uh, from what I understand. So I saw what drugs did. I never, I never was interested in it, but I did get into alcohol, man. I, I was drinking with the best of them, you know, when I was in eighth, ninth grade, you know, it was kind of when I started, I think I was in eighth grade when I, when I 
really kind of started drinking and then, then it just carried on through high school. I remember taking Mountain Dew and pouring it out about halfway and then filling it up the other half with vodka and taking that into school. And I drank all day during school. So I was, anyways, Mrs. Rauschenberger pulled me to the side and I'll never forget it. It was the first time ever that anybody kind of saw um, anything in me, like other than this troubled kid, this, you know, let me back up a little bit. I remember in elementary school, I had a teacher or a principal one time who, who hated me simply because I was from California and where I was born. And, and so I kind of, that was when I kind of started perpetuating this bad boy attitude, right? This don't give a fuck about anything attitude. And, you know, going through life, carrying that with me, you know, most people wrote me off. I, I maintained a, you know, basically a D average after that. Before that, I was like a straight A student, but I maintained basically a D average, just did enough shit to get by because I just wanted to get out, hang with my friends, break some shit, you know, break into buildings and cars and, you know, go smoke cigarettes and do, you know, drink beer. That's all I wanted to do. So I perpetuated this this bad boy attitude and a lot of teachers just wrote me off and I was I was quickly going down this path that I didn't know I was going down and Mrs. Rauschenberger uh, is the one who who really pulled me out of it and she pulled me out of it with a profound statement and I I, I apologize because even just saying this right now I get I get a little misty in the eye uh, because she saved my life. She said, she pulled me to the side one day and she said, Robert, she goes, I know what you've been through. And I was shocked because I didn't know how she could even know. I was just a student in school. Come to find out she knew my mom and, you know, word spreads. It was a small town. And she says, I know what you've been through. And you're amazing. She said, it's you could have easily become a statistic. You could have easily been dead on drugs, doing all the wrong things. She goes, but you're not. She goes, you have a little bit of an attitude problem. And, and she goes, I think that's your way of rebelling. She goes, but I know I can see in you. That's not who you are. That's not what you want to do but it's where you've been led. And she goes, I just want you to know you're amazing. And people listen to you and people follow you and you're a born leader and you need to use that to your advantage and to help other people. That was the day that my life changed. Don't get me wrong. Still went out, it was high school, I still partied, but my attitude changed. My attitude on life changed. My attitude about everything around me changed because of one statement, a teacher, an educator, a lifesaver had the time and drive and will to say to me. And that is where my desire to help people, I didn't even know it until a couple years ago that that's where I wanted to be in life. I still, I took it. I ran with it a little bit. You know, I was a leader on the speech team, her speech team. She, she looked to me to guide other students. And, you know, I got into leadership roles in business, but I didn't realize that that was why 
I succeeded in those roles was because of her and her statement until a couple years ago, until a year ago. And that's why this podcast is so important to me is because I want to see in you something that somebody else hasn't seen. I want to pull something out in you for you to create your own success that somebody else hasn't seen. Another great thing my mom always did was taught me to question everything. I remember when I was younger, excuse me, I remember when I was younger, my mom said, Robert, she said, little Robert, she called me, she said, nothing is as it seems all the time. And she said, there is absolutely nothing wrong with questioning why something is the way it is. Now, as a young kid, I took that and did the wrong thing with it because that's what who I was, right? That's what I just said. And I remember my math teacher basically, you know, one time saying, hey, Robert, two plus two equals four. And I was like, bullshit, two plus two doesn't equal four because my mom told me to question everything. Why does two plus two equal four? And, you know, he was like, well, you have two apples and then you have two other apples. And now you put them together, you have four apples. I was like, you can't put apples together, dumbass. But I used it for all the wrong reasons. I questioned everything, which is what my mom said. But what she meant was there's nothing wrong with questioning why something is so that you can have a greater understanding of it, not because you want to prove somebody wrong. And I've taken that throughout life with me forever since that moment. And a lot, I've used it a lot better, you know, in the last five, six, seven years. Because somebody else told me, another mentor told me of mine, um, I'll never forget him. He was a very great guy, Hector Jimenez. He said, Robert, he said, a smart man has all the answers. A wise man asks all the questions. And I kind of took those two together, which are this, they're saying the same thing. And I took those two things from, you know, those two statements, one from my mom, one from Mr. Jimenez, and put them together and, and developed this ability now to, to ask questions and to listen and to take that data and process it in a manner that helps me and can help other people. So I want you to understand where I came from and why this podcast to me is so important. And that's why I wanted to tell you a brief overview of my, of my history. But the other thing I want you to take from this podcast is to ask all the questions. Ask everybody. If you don't, if, even if you know the answer to it, ask them the question because they're going to have a different outlook. They're going to have a different opinion. They're going to have a different view of the same answer that you have. And that knowledge, all that information equals knowledge. And knowledge is wisdom and wisdom is power. So ask all the questions. Don't be afraid, even if you know the answer, to ask the question. But especially if you don't know the answer, ask the question. And then ask a question about that answer. And then ask a question about that answer. And dig deeper. There's so much more in this life 
than what is on the surface and what we get in the limited amount of interactions that we have, especially with social media and everything being instantaneous. We don't have to ask the question anymore. Great example of this. My fiance was in a Facebook argument, which happens with somebody. They posted a picture of some pepper spray and it said, you know, Pitbull pepper spray or, or aggressive dog. I think it said Pitbull pepper spray. And somebody posted on Facebook, oh my gosh, we need to, we need to ban CVS pharmacy. They're selling Pitbull pepper spray. You should never use pepper spray on a dog. And it became this viral thing that CVS was perpetuating that pit bulls were terrible animals and they wanted us to pepper spray every pit bull we saw. And in the comments section, one of the girls said of that argument, one of the girls said something that it's not actually to be used on pit bulls. It's that their marketing is that it will protect you like a pit bull would. And so Next day or two days down the road, my fiance sees this, we need to ban CVS Pharmacy post again from a friend of hers who is a pit bull advocate. And the, her, she posted a very similar thing. We need to ban this, ban CVS again because, you know, this pit bull spray, they want us to, to spray pit bulls. And my fiance went onto Facebook and immediately started to type a response. And her response was, Hey, this isn't actually to be used on pit bulls. This is their marketing saying that it will protect you like a pit bull would. And before she hit send, she did something profound. And I love her for this. She erased it. And she said, you know what? I don't actually know if that's true. I just read somewhere that somebody said that. So she went on Google and she tried to research the product to see if she could find some information on it. She couldn't really find a clear picture of the front of it. She wanted to find a picture of it to see if it was, you know, if it was marketing or if it was saying, hey, use this on aggressive pit bulls. And she couldn't really find a good picture of it, but she did some really, really deep digging and she found a company that sells the product and she couldn't get a hold of them, but she found a company that sells a similar product um, that has uh, like a different dog on the picture or whatever. I think it's like a bulldog or a boxer or something like that. And But it was the same manufacturer. So she called that company as well. And she asked them flat out, hey, is this, you know, is this to be used on dogs? And the representative of the company said, no. She said, it's actually, you know, human pepper spray to protect you from violent situations. She did say, however that it could be used on animals if you were to be attacked by an animal, but it is not designed to be an animal deterrent. It is designed as a people deterrent. Um, so she got the answer from the company itself. Then she went back to her friend's Facebook and she posted that up there. Her friend then came back with another response, which I thought was this whole interaction was a great interaction. Her friend came back with another response and said, you know what, that's awesome that it's not to be used on pit bulls. She said, my only exception to it is, is that they're using a pit bull in their imagery, which because of the reputation that pit bulls currently have, makes, puts pit bulls in a bad light. And we can't argue with that. She's 100% right. But my whole point in that is, 
because of information being immediately available to us or what we perceive as information to be immediately available to us, we have lost this ability to question things. We have lost this ability to do our own research. And that's what I want you to get from this in this in this pursuit of yours of success, in your pursuit of happiness, in your pursuit of a better relationship and a love life. I want you to ask questions and then I want you to to substantiate those answers by going and doing research. I want you to find the information for yourself because this is the only way we're going to create a more informed society, but it's also the greatest way for you to have the best understanding of you and your life and your situation and where you're going. So guys, three things. One, I wanted you to know where I came from. And why this is a fire for me to help you out. Two, do not become a statistic. You are awesome. There is more to you than anybody else knows. We're like an onion, right? Most people get the first or second layer, but there's way more to you. Don't be a statistic. No matter where you're at in your current situation, no matter where you're at in your life, don't allow yourself to fall into a category because it's easy. There is another path for you and you might not know it yet, but there's another path. Three, question everything, guys. Do your own research. Substantiate your own claims. Ask why. The wise man asks all the questions. The smart man knows everything, but the wise man asks all the questions. Guys, I'm Robbie Millar. I love you all. I appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Get a hold of me if you have any questions, if this has helped you out in any way. If you feel you have a friend that would get value from this podcast, share with them the raw and unscripted podcast. I met a guy yesterday uh, actually three people in an office yesterday said they're going to be listening to my podcast. I hope you guys, Sebastian, I hope you're listening to this like you said you would. I appreciate your support. I'll talk to you guys next time. I'm Robbie Millar. I'm out.